0: That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And to the republic
1: for which it stands.
0: The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency, effective at noon tomorrow.
1: One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. and You can see the two towers, a huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. (laughs) Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized minus 15 legal anatomy of current events sc ready and green to go t-minus 14 fos ready green to go to t-minus 12 s1c fuel tank pressurized t-minus 11 sc green to go legal anatomy of current events green to go t-minus 10 internal power green to go les ready for ignition t-minus 9 8 7 we have ignition Five, four, commit for launch, green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, all for you. Now on the air,
0: target locked. Good morning, America. Welcome to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock, and we're out of Denver, Colorado. We have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and we bring you this national show to give you a legal breakdown, a legal analysis. We call it legal anatomy of current events. So whatever's in the news, we're going to break it down for you and give you the analysis and give you the information that you need and want, and then you can make up your own mind on how you are on the issue and where you stand on the issue. This is not a political show. It's a non-biased, non-partisan show. We're glad to do it. It is a legal show. We do legal analysis. And by the way, we call that legal anatomy. We, we say we want to anatomize your mind. What does that mean? We want to give you the legal components, the legal breakdown of the issue we're talking about or issues we're talking about. And therefore, you can make up your mind. you can see the legal basis, the legal analysis, what's happening legally on the issue. And we'll give you the information. We do it every week, and we've been doing it for some time now. We're glad to do it. You can listen to all of our podcasts on your favorite platform. Okay, today we're talking about Alec Baldwin and the gun. What's up with that? Alec Baldwin and the gun in New Mexico, Santa Fe, shooting the movie called Rust. I mean, to tell you, what would you think about gun safety and safety on the— set of a movie uh, shoot, right, what would you think if they were shooting live ammunition? What would you think if they had live, in a, live ammunition? What's the law about that? What's the law and the breakdown of the criminal charges that the district attorney is pr- prosecuting and, and preparing and prosecuting in this case? What's that all about? And, and what about the judge? And how does that work through this process? I mean, after all, we're shooting a movie, right? And you've got guns out there. It's a Western. It's called Rust. And I guess the ironic part of the story is part of the, the story of Rust was a sort of a sort of a criminal outlaw on the run, I think, if I have the plot correctly. And it was a criminal outlaw on the run. And now we have real criminal charges, involuntary manslaughter uh, filed already against Alec Baldwin, uh, the armorist, and the uh, uh, third person involved. It was the assistant director. Okay. And so that's the basis. That's the flavor of what we're doing. But if I told you, if I told you that there was live ammunition on a movie set, if I told you that certain people that were on the set, crew members, walked out the day of the shooting because they declared and said it was unsafe and they didn't want to be involved, what about about that? Do you know that to be true? You know, what's a gun loaded with live ammunition doing on a movie set? You know how to tell the difference between... Uh, a dummy, dummy shell, a dummy uh, round, right? A blank, as we as we call them, and live ammunition. And you had to look at the primer. This was a Colt 45, a replica of an 1873 Colt 45 gun. It's got a round chamber. It's not like the 9 millimeter Glocks and the fancy guns there are today. Uh, you know, 9 millimeters, and and then you have a clip. This you put the bullets in a chamber, and it rotated. And by the way, when the chamber is lo- loaded and you pull the trigger, it can fire. And, it can, and if you got it in a holster, it can hit you. And so that's in the old days, that was called a cowboy load. A cowboy load is you never had a bullet in the chamber that was next to the hammer while you were carrying the gun around. Of course, when you pull the trigger, it, it rotates the revolver, it rotates the cylinder, and places the next bullet up for discharge. So that's a Colt forty-five. It's called a single-action gun. That's important. It's going to become important later. Who are the players in this thing? You know, Mm -hmm. Alina Hutchins, she was the director of photography. She's deceased. She was killed that day when the gun went off. Killed. I haven't seen a single report yet of anybody that knows how the live bullet got in the gun or the real ammunition got into the gun. It's a mystery, but I've heard that it's under investigation. So Alina Hutchins was shot and killed. She was the director of photography. Director Joel Souza was injured. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Was there one bullet or two bullets? What's the analysis of this? There was one bullet. That's how powerful that gun is. It went through Alina Hutchins and hit Joel Solz in the shoulder. You know, and then Mamie Mitchell, she's now filed a lawsuit in California. She was a script supervisor. She was close to the victim, physically close to the discharge. We're going to cover that today. We're going to cover, was there target practice? Think about this, target practice on the set in the area on the movie set, and and, and were their dummy rounds mixed in with live ammunition? You really need to get a hold of that one I just told you. Were there dummy rounds or blanks mixed in with live ammunition? They had a cart, sort of like a profile cart, sort of like a movie movie moving cart, a, a mobile cart, that they had, they had the ammunition and the guns on. And, and what is an armorist? An armorist is somebody who's on the set, and they're supposed to be trained and experienced in handling guns and handling sets and guns for movies. And by the way, what's in New Mexico statute if you have a deadly weapon that's not licensed that's just sitting around anybody can shoot it? There's a statute on that. And by the way, I'm going to ask you this question. Did you know that before the discharge of the bullet that killed Miss Hutchins, and there's a whole side story to that, that, before there was a discharge to the bullet that killed Miss Hutchins, what would you do if I told you somebody on the set shot themselves in the foot with a live bullet with real ammunition? That happened, and that was a prop master. Now, Matthew Hutchins... Was the, was the husband of Alina Hutchins, the deceased, the decedent. They filed a wrongful death lawsuit, and that was settled. And as part of the settlement, I guess, Mr. Matthew Hutchins is now executive producer of the movie. So his deceased wife was shot with a Colt forty-five, powerful gun. If you've ever seen the ammunition, you'd run. Powerful gun. And now the husband is the executive director. Let's talk about the criminal charges. Let's break those down for you right now. Murder versus manslaughter. What's the difference? We hear about it all the time. We heard it about it in Minnesota, on George Floyd case, murder, murder one, murder two, murder three. It really deal, deals with planning and intent, intent, intent to kill. That's how the statutes of murder work, intent to kill. You had some form of intent, right? And sometimes you can have transferred intent. You shoot at Mr. X and you don't, you, you miss Mr. X, but you hit Mr. Y. And so your, your intent is transferred from your intended victim under the murder statute to the real victim. Because you were intending to hurt somebody, you were intended to shoot somebody. But Alec Baldwin said in his interviews, and he said all along that he didn't know the, the gun was loaded. As a matter of fact, the assistant director, he said, called it out on the set, hey, cold gun, is that enough? What are the standards here? What are the legal standards for when you say, hey, cold gun, meaning there's no ammunition, it's not loaded? What are the duties and obligations? We're talking about legal analysis of this whole situation. What are the legal du- duties and, and, and responsibilities of the armorist? That's the person in charge of the weapons. What's the d- duties and responsibilities of the actor, Alec Baldwin? What are the duties and responsibilities of the executive producer? What are what are the safety protocols, right? What are the pr- protocols and safety? So let's go back to murder versus manslaughter. Murder, you have to have the uh, intent, and it all deals with intent. Man- manslaughter, you don't have to have that. And the, and the district attorney in New Mexico has filed the charges under manslaughter. So, so she doesn't have to prove the specific intent. But what does she have to prove? So for the charges, and remember, I'm going to talk to you today. I'm going to tell you and teach you, you can have the criminal charges and you can have civil lawsuits. Just like in the O.J. Simpson case, there was a criminal case where he was acquitted, but there were civil lawsuits for wrongful death and there's civil lawsuits and there's lawsuits filed right now. Civil lawsuits. So you can have both at the same time. So under New Mexico, the involuntary manslaughter statute says you can be guilty of involuntary manslaughter and you can go to jail for a long time. And the statute says, well, if you're in the commission of a legal act, a lawful act, think about that. If you're doing something that's lawful and the statute says, which might produce death in an unlawful manner, okay, that's kind of kind of confusing. And you don't want criminal statutes to be confusing if you're legally analyzing them. And if you're going to fight them because that's how defense attorneys come at you, that's how they come at the state, that's how they come at the people, that's how they come at the prosecutor. The statute is vague. It's unconstitutionally vague. You know, Thomas Jefferson once said that for a criminal statute to be effective and constitutional, the perpetrator must be able to read it and understand it while he's running, running away from the scene. Must be able to read it and understand it. Well, listen to this manslaughter statute. It says, commission of a lawful act which might produce death in an unlawful manner. And the DA doesn't like that one so much. So the next one, commission of a lawful act, meaning making a movie, which might produce death without due caution and circumspection. Circumspection. Excuse me. Without due caution and circumspection, can anybody tell me what that means? You're engaged in a law manslaughter. This is the definition of manslaughter in New Mexico. You're dealing with performing a lawful act without due caution. That's kind of understandable. Without due caution and circumspection, meaning I think you have to take the consider into consideration the circumstances around you, who are around you. I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee you. You ever talk to a, a professional with regard to guns? I don't know if it's their number one, but I think it is their number one rule. Number one rule when you deal with guns is you, you have to know the status of the gun. They will tell you that. I will tell you that. You have to know the status of the gun. What, what do you mean status of the gun? Well, let's talk about that. You have to know the location of the gun. I mean, this is not a situation when you have a gun and people are licensed to carry guns and they have guns in their homes and their cars. This is not a situation where you go and you, you, know, you ask your wife, hey, Betty, you know, you, you know what I did with my gun the other day? You know where my gun is? Did I leave it at work or is it in the car? No. You have to know the status of a gun, meaning its location. You also have to know the status of the gun, meaning whether it's loaded or not. You also have to know where the bullets are. You can have a bullet in the chamber. You can have a bullet in a clip, like the 9mm. And in this instance, with a Colt 45, you can have a bullet in every one of the chambers in the cylinder. Unless you want a cowboy load, which means you're probably not going to shoot yourself in the foot. Because the cowboy load does not have a bullet in the uh, live firing pin area. You have to pull the trigger, which rotates the cylinder, which loads the bullet, and you shoot the bullet. That's called a cowboy load. Back to manslaughter. You don't have to have intent to kill anybody. The district attorney in New Mexico said in her interview, I don't think Alec Baldwin had the intent to kill anybody. There was no intentional act. There was an intentional act about the gun. All right, so now let's get down to the legal analysis. A commission of a lawful act. I have a gun. I have a movie. Right? I was told... Alec Baldwin says, I was told by the assistant director there was a cold gun, but it's come out that the assistant director is not the person that should be telling the actor about the gun. It's the armorist. So we're talking about standard of care. What's the legal standard of care in this whole situation? Who should be listening to who? And the actors, uh, now that they come out and say the standard of care is the actor himself or herself should check the gun themselves. You open it up. You look to see if there's any bullets there. If you want to really be safe, you take a cleaning instrument and shove it down the barrel of the gun when it's in a situation where it can't fire. So if you see if there, anything's obstructing it, that's the legal duty, the legal duty to check on it. And and every movie set has an armorist. That's somebody that's trained. This armorist had only had one movie before. And she said she, and you should see her interview. It's it's unbelievable. She, I mean, she, she thinks her career's over. She's now been charged with involuntary manslaughter, right? So what were the safety protocols on the set? I think you better get ready to sit down for this. In one of the lawsuits um, filed in California, in the Superior Court of California, it's uh, Mamie Mitchell, she was the person still living standing in close proximity to the victim or both victims. Uh, and it was it was this was all inside of a church, so it was in closed quarters, right? But this lawsuit says and alleges, starting on page three, that days before the shooting a camera operator had reported two unexpected gun discharges during a rehearsal in a cabin with live ammunition. He texted, quote, this is super unsafe. That's two days. So when you're looking at this and legally analyzing it, which is what we do on this show, you have to be looking at were they doing this with without due caution or with due caution. And if you have somebody shooting live ammunition two days before the event, should probably give you some kind of notice there might be an issue here. Also, some of the crew members were taking target practice with live ammunition. So I ask you again, what is live ammunition doing with dummy rounds and blanks on a movie set? And and how do you know the difference? And do you know the difference? And it takes a trained eye to know the difference. Also, it was alleged in this lawsuit uh, that people had walked out the day of the incident because they said this whole place is unsafe. People, crew members, right? And and, and there was industry norms. What, what does norms mean? Standards of care. You have a standard of care when you're driving your car. A standard of care is, you know, you stop at a stop sign. Of course, there's a rule on that. There's a statute, but that's a standard of care. You obey the rules of the road. Well, the same thing with the movie set. You have standards of care that you have to adhere to and con- conform with, right? And so they keep saying that one of the standards of care is that you shouldn't have live ammunition mixed up with blank shells. And you should not cock this gun. And it's also come to light that the scene they were about to shoot didn't even call for the use of a gun in the scene. So Alec Baldwin much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of his defense attorneys, gets on TV and has an interview with George Stephanopoulos, and he said, I never pulled the trigger. And George kind of looked incredulous and said, you didn't pull the trigger? I didn't pull the trigger. I did not pull the trigger. I had it cocked. If you look at a Colt 45, it cocks in four different positions when you cock the hammer. But you cannot make the hammer on a Colt 45 discharge and hit the primer of the bullet without pulling the trigger. You could force it. You can't. You can drop it. It won't work. So if you got the hammer cocked, this all goes to intent. It all goes to due caution, the manslaughter statute, without due caution or circumspection, without taking into consideration the circumstances. If you cock a gun and you don't know what's inside of it and you point it at somebody, what's that about? And then, right, then you pull the trigger. And Alec Baldwin said clearly on TV he didn't pull the trigger. So what did the DA do? And this gets better legally. It really gets better. The DA took the gun and had the FBI do a complete study on the gun as to whether or not uh, the gun would fire without pulling the trigger. And so Alec Baldwin says he didn't pull the trigger and the FBI did an investigation and they found in the report that the gun would not discharge, will not discharge, is designed not to discharge until and unless you do pull the trigger. In other words, you you know it has a hammer, you cock the hammer, you can't make the hammer hit the primer, you can't make it operate unless you pull the trigger. He said, I didn't pull the trigger. This goes to the manslaughter statute. Are you acting recklessly? Are you acting dangerously? Are you acting without due caution and circumspection? Are you doing that when you don't know what's in the gun? Are you doing that when somebody hands you the gun and you rely on them? Are you doing that when the assistant director says, cold gun, it's all a cold gun over here, meaning there's, it's not loaded, but it was loaded. And the standard or the norm, the standard, hang on to that word, the standard of care is that the assistant director doesn't hand the gun to the actor. The armorist hands the gun to the actor. The armist is responsible to know what's in the gun. And so is the actor. The actor looks at it, inspects it, opens it up. So the, so the lawsuits and the one in California that, that I'm most familiar with is uh, they're saying there were no standards uh, adhered to whatsoever. And we're dealing with a deadly weapon. So back to the manslaughter statute, right? Does that, is this being done without due caution and without circumspection, meaning considering the circumstances of the situation. You can make your own judgment. That's the law. This is a legal analysis show. You're listening to legal anatomy of current events. We're talking about the current events of Alec Baldwin and the gun. What's up with that? That's the name of our show. That is our show today, right? And so uh, they had all kinds of protocol that they say in the lawsuit was was, um, not conformed to not complied with, and the prop master didn't hand the gun to Alec Baldwin. That's a breach of the standard of care, they say. The armorer didn't hand the gun to Alec Baldwin. That's a breach. Does he know that? Is that acting without due caution? And by the way, they say there's a standard that all firearms are to be treated as loaded until proven otherwise. And you don't just point a gun at somebody. They say, if you don't know the status of the gun, you have to know the status of the gun, and you don't have live live ammunition mixed with blanks. The lawsuit also says they were playing Russian roulette, Russian roulette on, the, on this situation. And so safety protocols were violated. Now, you can have a civil lawsuit, which they do, and it's and it coming to the close the case where I think everybody's blaming everybody. The armorist, I think uh, I read, uh, might be blaming the ammunition supplier uh, who gave them the live bullets, but they had them out there for days. Reports say, right? And then we have the issue of the trigger. Alec Baldwin never pulled the trigger. And the FBI says that you can't fire the gun without pulling the trigger. So here's a gun with powerful enough to go through one person, kill her, and go through a sh- shoulder and injure the next person. One bullet, right? So this Colt 45 was a replica made by an Italian company called Pieta. Single action, as I said, you gotta, you got to hammer it, pull the hammer back, and then you got to pull the trigger. And that's, that's how you get to this situation. Another legal point I want to teach you about right now. Think about this. Alec Baldwin said I didn't pull the trigger. So here's the gun. And you got to be able to prove at trial eventually that this is the same gun right here in court. This is the same gun that was on the set. And it didn't get lost in transit. It didn't get put in a box. And and we're guessing. No, we got to be able to prove. The prosecution has to prove this is the same gun. It's the same gun that went to the FBI. It's the same gun that was tested. And so in lawyers, and the law calls it a chain of evidence. And if the chain of evidence is broken, it's a defense attorney's heyday. Because if it's broken and you can't prove that's the same gun that was on the set, that's now in court, you got a big problem and you might have your case dismissed. So think about this, and I'm going to teach you legally. What do they do with that gun? They seize it. I think they had a search warrant. They seize the gun. Then where does it go? It usually gets placed in the possession of one or two people. In law enforcement, they seal it. Sometimes they put it in a plastic bag. Sometimes they put it in another type of container. They seal it off with seals. They sign the seal. The seal can't be broken without breaking their signature. That's the same chain of evidence. And the chain of evidence has to follow all the way to the FBI testing because the DA doesn't have the gun anymore. It's over in the FBI lab. And the FBI is probably testing it every which way. They probably dropped the gun in in a safe chamber to see if it's going to fire without the trigger being pulled. And they're going to test it. So we have somebody testing it. That's a different person than the DA. Where's the chain of evidence? Because defense attorneys seize on the chain of evidence. If it's broken more than once or once, they go for it. You can't prove this is the gun. You can't prove it. <clears throat> so it's got to be sealed the whole time. It's got to be tested and sealed and returned into evidence and bagged and signed off and sealed. And we've all seen TV shows where the evidence room is some are tampered with, <clears throat> excuse me, that sort of thing tampered with, and then that destroys the chain of evidence on the gun. That can lose the case. Next, I want you to think about this legal point. The gun was tested, but the defense attorney for Alec Baldwin says there was a problem. And for the life of me, I can't figure out what the problem was, but he says there was a problem, and he used the word, I think, defect or misconstrued. What's the legal analysis of that? Here's the legal analysis of that. Let's take a timeout for a second on your mind and go to a car crash. Somebody has a car crash and they run into the back of you and they say, well, I had defective brakes, defective brakes, defective brakes, and I ran into it's not my fault, except if I knew my brakes were in trouble. If I knew I should have had them repaired, if I was having trouble with them, that would be different. But if it's just out of the blue, they're defective and it just happens, then that can be a good defense to a car crash. Now, let's go back to the gun. The lawyer's either saying or implicating the defense lawyer that the gun had a defect, well, if it had a defect, it might go off if the trigger wasn't pulled. So the whole legal analysis is you have to have the chain of ev- chain of evidence. You have to be able to th- prove the gun had no defect, and the FBI report said there was no defect or problem with this gun at all. But the defense lawyer is trying to raise the issue that there might be, or is. And we don't know what his facts are, but that's how it works. Your job as the defense lawyer lawyer is to get your guy off, make him walk, free. The job as a prosecutor is to convict them. So that's why you look at these statutes. That's why the prosecutor doesn't look at murder, not murder one, not murder two, not murder three. There's no intent to kill. There might be intent to handle the gun the way it was handled. Is that reckless? Is that without due caution and circumspection? Those are the legal standards, right? And so now we have the FBI testing the gun. They have the report. They say it's just fine and it will not fire unless you pull the trigger. And here comes the defense lawyers, legal analysis coming right at you. Defense lawyer's worst nightmare. If you're representing somebody charged with a crime, you don't want them to go on TV and start talking. And you don't want them to make speech after speech after speech. Because sometimes, and many times, they say something that is used against them later. So think about this. Alec Baldwin said, I never pulled the trigger. And he said he looked right in the camera and said, I didn't pull that trigger. I had it. I cocked it back. you got to ask yourself the question. If it wasn't even in the script to have the gun that day, why are we cocking it back? And why are we pointing at somebody? But I cocked it back, he said, and I did not pull the trigger. Now, I'm not saying you make things up, and we don't. In our law firm, we never make anything up. But what if, we're talking pure legal analysis, right? What if Alec Baldwin said, I was handed the gun by the assistant director. He said, cold gun, meaning it wasn't loaded. I pointed the gun, and I did pull the trigger. I thought it, I thought it wasn't loaded. But since he said he didn't pull the trigger, it, it created the whole scenario with the FBI investigating the gun. It created the whole scenario with the FBI doing it with proper chain of evidence, analyzing the gun, Right. And so that's the way that works. Now, think about this legal point. Every prosecutor that I know of in every state has a duty and obligation to disclose to the perpetrator, alleged or perpetrator that they're going to charge or are charging. If the if the DA discovers in the course of a trial that there's evidence that's called exculpatory, what does that mean? Evidence that exculpates, gets the defendant out of the out of the criminal charge. For example. For example, if you start, if you charge somebody with a crime, and then the prosecutor learned that the person had a perfectly sound alibi and from a from a third party witness, they'd have to tell the defense lawyer and the defendant. You're right. You had an alibi, and here's the witness. And they can't just keep the witness secret. You can't do that. So what about this business about the FBI testing? that word says there was a defect. And what about New Mexico's laws? Right. So every every state for attorneys has a has a uh, pr- rules of professional conduct. And in New Mexico, it's Rule 16-308. And it says the prosecutor, ready, must make timely disclosure to the defense of all evidence or information known to the prosecutor that tends to negate the guilt of the accused. So they got to turn it over. What if the FBI test came back and said, well, it's kind of a problem with the gun. It might be a defect. Then does the prosecutor legally have to tell the defendant? I think so. There's a problem with the test. Here's our testing. You get to see the testing. That's the New Mexico Rules of Professional Conduct, which applies to prosecutors. There's also one, a national case, United States Supreme Court, called the Brady case. I'm, I'm sure everybody knows about Brady. It was the Brady rule, right, when the president was shot years ago, and basically says that any material evidence favorable to the defendant, any, any material evidence favorable to the defendant has to be turned over to the defendant. So what if the FBI test was favorable to Alec Baldwin and favorable to his, now he went on TV and said, I never pulled the trigger. He said it, you know, so so he's he's put himself in a position now where the gun was tested, and if there's no defect with the gun, and if he takes the stand in his trial, he waves the Fifth Amendment to remain silent. He waves it, he gets on the stand, he starts testifying, and he comes up with a different version or a different story Then they can say, well, before you said you pulled the trigger, and we now we've got the gun that will not fire unless, uh, 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 he said he didn't pull the trigger, I'm sorry. And now we've got a, a, a test by the FBI that says the gun won't fire unless you did pull the trigger, the gun was in your hand, Ms. Hutchins was shot. Mr. Souza was shot in the shoulder. Miss Hutchins was killed, dead, cinematographer, sad. And now you're trying to change your story. So let's give the legal analysis of that. At trial, they make a decision. Is Alec Baldwin going to get on the stand? He doesn't have to under the Fifth Amendment. He can just sit there and remain silent. And the prosecution cannot look at the jury and say anything similar to the following. We've been in this courtroom for two days or three weeks or two weeks, and we have not heard one word from the defendant, Alec Baldwin. You Can't say that have the right to remain silent, and there cannot be any mal innuendo inferred by remaining silent. But if Alec Baldwin takes the stand, then everything is free game. You get to ask him about the gun, what, what was he thinking, who it handed to, what about the standards of care, and that sort of thing. Another legal point. This criminal case is still going on, right? And these these private lawsuits are now being fire, filed. So if you're in a private lawsuit and you want to take the deposition, of Alec Baldwin, he could take the Fifth Amendment on every question, the way I see it. So so smart lawyers want to kind of wait till the criminal action that pursues its course, comes to a conclusion, and then get involved with the civil part of it. But you also have statute of limitations to worry about that forces you to go forward, right? So now we're looking at exculpatory evidence, right? We've looked at the involuntary manslaughter statute in New Mexico. They can't act without due caution. We have somebody shooting themselves in the foot with a live round before A couple of days before this, we have target practice by some of the crew members. We have crew members walking out because they say this whole place is unsafe. We have an armorist who's only done one movie before, and this was all a low-budget movie. And you can make your own inference from that. It was all a low-budget movie. Now we have a lawsuit by Mamie Mitchell out of California, alleging assault and battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligence. Intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligence. Next question. Next legal question. If you have all these civil lawsuits, civil lawsuits are about money for compensatory damages. But who's going to pay the money? You know, Alec Baldwin, I think, is considering, I've read, of filing lawsuits himself if he hasn't already done it. Who handed me that gun? Who said cold gun? How did live ammunition get mixed up with fake, uh, I mean, with with um, dummy rounds and blanks? And who was keeping track of it? And who was inventorying it? And why did you have a gun pointed at somebody when you don't know the status of the gun? These are all standards of care, legal standards of care, that all come into evidence as to how this situation should have been handled. And what are you doing with a gun, a fast-draw gun, in a church, on the ranch, on the set, when the script that day doesn't even call for the use of a gun? And certainly, what are you doing pointing it at somebody? So, you can see there's going to be multiple, multiple lawsuits, multiple issues. Now, one more question. Is there insurance coverage for all this? Who has insurance coverage? Well, let me give you an example. This is Legal Anatomy of Current Events. And by the way, if you want to contact us, you can do it anytime at info at legalanatomy.net. Info at legalanatomy.net. Is there insurance covering this? Let me give you an example. If somebody's driving a car down a country road, there's two cars coming at each other, and one of them crosses over the center line and causes a head-on collision, you think, well, that's that's sad. Somebody's going to be hurt bad or killed, but that would be covered by insurance. Well, what if the person that crossed the center line says, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't fall asleep. I did it intentionally, intentionally, because I was trying to commit suicide. So if it's intentional, it's not covered by insurance. Think about that. I'm going to repeat that. If it's intentional, it's not covered by insurance. So a driver coming across the center line that says, I'm trying to kill myself, doesn't care about anybody else, that's intentional act. It's not going to be covered by insurance. There's going to be a large argument by the insurance company they don't have to pay because it wasn't negligence. They only pay for negligence. So these are smart lawyers, right? Smart lawyers. So if you're going to sue for intentional... Infliction of emotional distress, that may not be covered by insurance. But do these people have money? You got a low-budget film. Everybody everybody was sued, all the producers, all the, the, the company. I'm saying all of them. There was a, a lot of defendants. I don't know if it's all of them. Assault and battery was another part of the lawsuit. That's intentional. Well, where's the insurance money come from? Ah, smart lawyers. One count, one count in the lawsuit was for negligence. There you go. So you can have intentional claims, intentional infliction of emotional distress, assault and battery, but you can also have a negligence claim which probably will trigger insurance if there was negligence, right? So we've got the we've got the low budget film. It looks like now everybody is blaming everyone else. We got the insurance coverage issue covered for you. So before we wrap up our show, anybody know what the status of this movie is? Rust? Is it gonna be filmed still? I mean the executive director is Mr. Hutchins, the husband of the of the deceased who was shot and killed. Mr. Sosa is still involved with the film, so the best reports are that it's going to be filmed sometime in 2023 in a different state. I'm not sure, Montana, Wyoming, not in New Mexico anymore. It's going to be filmed. Alec Baldwin is still going to be the actor, but they're kind of delaying things because this criminal trial now is is cooking in, in New Mexico and Santa Fe, and that's going to have to see what happens there. So we've covered the beginning of it. We've covered the standard of care for you. We've covered the live ammunition. We've covered the ma- manslaughter statute for you, and then the insurance coverage. You're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We're here every week for you, and we break down current events for you. We give you the legal analysis of it and the legal breakdown. We call it anatomizing your mind. You can reach us at info at legalanatomy.net if you'd like to. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And if you want to find out who we are, you can just go to our website. It's called championsofthepeople.com. That's championsofthepeople.com. We love doing this web, this uh, for you. And today, uh, as usual, we're going to f- still fulfill our, Brad's not with us today, but we're going to fulfill our uh, end of the show deal where we cover an American idiom. And we're going to give you a quote of the day. We like to have a little fun in the show, give you a legal analysis. And the American idiom, you're not going to believe it, probably apropos for this show. What does it mean when somebody says, we well, are going to have to bite the bullet, right? Bite the bullet. What does that mean? I mean, you're about down to the end of the line. You about don't have any more choices anymore, and so you're going to have to bite the bullet and just proceed. All right, and for your quote of the day, uh, it's a great quote. It comes from Dale Carnegie, and Dale Carnegie says, Remember, happiness doesn't depend upon who you are or what you have. It depends solely upon what you think. Pretty good quote, I would say. All right, legal anatomy of current events. Gary Bell, Brad Pollack, we're here for you every week. We try to cover the current events. If you have a suggestion for us, or you want to communicate with us or interact with us, just email us at info at legalanatomy.com.